Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. I had to leave. We went long. Obviously, if you were standing in the foyer, you know that we went long. And I had to go downstairs and me and Alyssa were talking about baptism-y type stuff. And uh, I kept sniffling the whole time. I, I just couldn't stop really crying up here at the end of the 11 or the 9 o'clock service. And I'm sure Alyssa was probably wondering, what's wrong with this guy? Like, it's just a baptism. Why is he crying already? And, and uh, it left me a little wrecked. And I am, I'm in expectation of what the Spirit of God is going to do in this service as well. I am saying to you now off the get-go that if you will open your hearts in your ears, and you make a determination inside of yourself right now to receive all that God has for you today, that you will be changed and transformed in the presence of God. So I'm encouraging you not to sit in church uh, for the next 30 minutes like somebody who is watching a sitcom and ready to go home when it's done because it's almost lunchtime, but that you are sitting there receiving from the spirit of life. And so that as you are sitting there, that it's like the Spirit of God is having a conversation with you personally right here, right now. And he's talking to you about some things so that you can become more the person that he has called you to be. Because there is freedom in Jesus. Amen? Amen. We talked about this last week. There is freedom in Jesus. And so we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the Word of God today and something that the Spirit of God put on my heart uh, actually, a couple weeks ago, even as we were finishing up the five hallmarks of our house series, I knew that this Sunday that I wanted to talk about what I'm going to talk to you about today. And today we're going to talk about the fear of God, the right kind of fear. The right kind of fear. Everybody say the right kind of fear. And yeah, you can be like, well, pastor, uh, there is no right kind of fear because the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, I would challenge you, and I would say this to you, and I said this at the end of the, at the 9 o'clock service by the Spirit of God, that there is a fear that brings life, and there is a fear that brings death and bondage. The fear of God brings healing, wholeness, and life, and the fear of the world and the enemy and the devil and of people and all the things that you see around here brings death and bondage to us. And so I don't know about you, but we're going to choose the fear of God in our hearts and our lives. We're going to choose to watch God work and move in our lives. Amen? So go with me to the the book of Luke. We're going to start in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going. And I don't really know how we'll finish up today, to be honest. I told everybody at the beginning of the 9 o'clock service that I didn't know where I was going, and I'm going to tell you the same thing. I don't know where I'm going. So buckle up, hold on, and let's just see what the Spirit of God wants to say. Luke chapter 12 picks up in the middle of a story. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 37, Jesus was invited by some Pharisees to go have dinner at his house. And so Jesus went, and he went and had dinner, and he got into dinner, and he just began to kind of lay it out for him, and just said some things that, uh, in verse 45, he's, he's talking in verse 45, one of the Pharisees answers, and he says, teacher, 
uh, you've insulted us with what you just said. So Jesus wasn't there to make friends. He was just bringing the truth of the gospel like he did everywhere he went, and he didn't care who he was with. And so he's at these people's house having dinner, and he's telling them the truth. And so they're insulted, they're hurt. Jesus leaves, and at the beginning of chapter 12, he's, he's come outside from dinner, and the Bible says there are crowds numbering in the thousands that are there waiting for Jesus. And in verse 4, Jesus begins to talk to the disciples and explain to them what he was talking about in the dinner with the Pharisees. Don't you love how Jesus will take time to explain to us what we don't understand sometimes? Like maybe Jesus says something and you don't get it. Guess what? He's okay with sitting down with you and explaining it a little slower. And a little slower if you don't get it that time. Explain it to me like I'm 10. And now explain it to me like I'm 5. And Jesus says, okay, I'm happy to do that. And explain. You should highlight that. That's a great verse. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. So don't worry about it. All they can do, the worst Jesus says, the worst they can do is kill you. So why are you afraid about it? Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of them. That's all they can do. That's, they can kill you. You're dead and gone. Your life is over on earth as you know it. Don't be afraid of that. Then he says this in verse 5, and it's a powerful statement. Get ready for it because it might rock your world a little bit because this is Jesus speaking and he says this, but I'll tell you who to fear. That means that you should fear someone. He says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear. So he says, don't be afraid of somebody who can just kill you and that's it because they can't touch your soul. They can't touch the part of you that lives forever. They can only touch your body. That's the worst they can do. But he says, you should be afraid of somebody and that somebody, that something you should be afraid of is God because God could kill you, take you out. And then when you were dead and gone from this world, he can still, if you haven't accepted him into your life, he could send you to hell. So if you're gonna be afraid of somebody, Fear the Lord. This is exciting so far, isn't it? This is great. Everybody's like, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. This place just uplifted and ready to go to Wendy's after church and go talk to the dude at the cash register I see every week and be like, hey man, do you fear something? Fear God. He says, and listen, it's, it's interesting to me in this verse, he says, Jesus says, Fear three times. Now listen, we're going to look at this word fear real quickly because I'm going somewhere. And in, in the Greek, this word is uh, um, phobio, which we get the word phobia from, not surprisingly. And it says to frighten, that is to be alarmed. By analogy, to be in awe of, that is to revere something. Be afraid, fear exceedingly, reverence. It's talking about a holy fear from God. And I want to remind you again, the right kind of fear will keep you alive. If you fear God, it'll help keep you alive. If you fear the things of the world, those things lead to bondage. They only lead to bondage. That's the only tool the enemy has. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he brings you things to be afraid of, all it's going to do is bind you up and leave you stranded and end up in bondage and death. But Jesus said, if you're going to fear something, fear God. You need to have a holy fear because it leads to life. And here's why we're talking about this. Because I believe 
that by and large, the body of Christ does not have a holy fear for the Lord. I feel like by and large, what has happened, one of the things that has happened in the last three years with all of our lockdowns, with all of our frustrations, one of the things that you see that really arose in all that time was the, uh, a losing and a lack of respect and fear and awe for all kinds of authority in the world, didn't we? Like, look what happened in Portland, your home state. Look what happened. Man, they were burning downtown. They were fighting against the police. Look what happened in Seattle. They set up their own inner city. They kicked all the police out. They said, you have no authority, no jurisdiction here. Take your police stuff and hit the road. We are seeing people alive today on earth that are rejecting all kinds of authority because there is a lack of fear of those things. There is a lack of reverence. There's a lack of awe for the law. There's a lack of reverence for judges and politicians and those in authority. And here's what I think the end game is. I don't know why I'm yelling. I'm sorry. Here's what I think the end game of all of this is. I don't think, I think the devil is playing the long game. Shocker. I don't think the devil just wants to have people that are alive on the planet earth who are just anti-police or anti-judges, or anti-politicians, or anti-establishment, or anti-whatever. I think what he's really after, and what his long game is, is to raise up a generation that has grown up anti-everything, and so they no longer, even though they no longer have a fear for the judges and the police, they will also translate into their spiritual life, and they lose their awe and reverence for fear of God. I think that's his end game. Because if he can get us to lose fear and reverence and awe for all these natural man-made things, that translates. Listen, you can't say, in my natural life, I'm going to be this way, but in my spiritual life, I'm going to be this way. Who you are over here is who you are over here. You can't say, oh, I don't have any fear for a cop. I'm going to tell a cop to take a hike when he pulls me over and drive away. And then I'm going to go to church and say, Lord, I stand in awe of you. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And so I think the end game, the long con here, is to raise up a people who are alive on planet Earth who have so lost their fear and reverence for anything that they no longer understand or know how to fear God. So for fun, while I was getting ready, I Googled God. Who likes to Google things here? It's pretty fun. Like sometimes I just Google things for fun because it's fun. Because when you start typing in Google, it autofills for you people's other searches, which is always the best part because you can see what people are searching. And so I Googled God and then I clicked on images because I, I wanted to say, I wanted to see what do people think God looks like? Because in a second, we're going to open the word of God together. We're going to leave this passage of scripture that says fear God. And we're going to look at what the Bible says God is and what he looks like. So we have a biblical understanding. Is that okay? So I looked up images of God to see what I could find. And so here's, here's a couple images we have. This is, besides this creepy angel in the right-hand side with his thousand-yard stare trying to stare into your soul right now, this guy is creepy. This is uh, Michelangelo's creation of Adam. That's Adam's finger over there, and he's, he was fully naked, just fully laying out there, and I was like, well, we'll just put that away. So I cut, I cut Adam out of the picture. 
not realizing the angels were naked as well. I'm so sorry. If you're offended by naked angels, please forgive me right here and right now. Don't miss the point. But here we see this picture, uh, and, and this is what, this took like Michelangelo like four years to paint this thing, and this was his representation of, of God. This is what he, he's like, I'm going to paint a picture of God. This is what I think God looks like. He kind of looks like Garrett to me. Gray hair, a beard. Look at those shoulders, strong shoulders like Garrett has. He's got a flowing robe on. And he's reaching, look how big the Lord's arms are. Those are large biceps that God has. And this is what he said. This is what I think the Lord looks like. This is my artistic depiction of the Lord. Here's another picture uh, also painted. These are both painted in the early 1500s. I think this was painted in 1515 by an Italian painter. And here he's got the Lord in clouds. Like this is the whole painting and he's just surrounded by clouds. And he's, you can see half of him there. He's also a white man for some reason. I don't know. Apparently, that's what these guys thought. The Lord was white, and he's got, like, a, also a white flowing beard. He's wearing robes. He's got his hands out like he's ready to do some kind of work. This is what uh, people thought the Lord looked like. He's got a halo around his head. This was their understanding. Here's another picture, and this is a picture of a sweet, cuddly little lamb. And when John was talking in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, John says about Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And so many people, when they think about God or they think about Jesus, they picture him as a cute, cuddly little lamb that they want to pick up and snuggle and rub their nose. Look at who doesn't think that's cute and cuddly and you want to pet its fur. Many people, when they picture the Lord, this is what they picture. I don't know about you, but this so far, none of these three pictures have caused me to stand in fear, reverence, or awe. This one, least of all. This one, I want to run to it and squeeze it and hug it. And I want to show you a video in here. And this video, listen, the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. I'm not saying that this, this isn't accurate. I'm saying they're not full depictions, and there are pieces of the image that are missing, okay? There's a video we're going to watch at. It's a great video from the 80s. You're going to love it. Probably some of you are going to want to stand up and start dancing and singing. If you want to, go for it. I don't care. Just get your groove on. But listen, this song is from the 80s talking about Jesus. Let's just listen for As it should be He taught me how to turn my cheek When people laugh at me I've had friends before And I can tell you that He's one who will never leave you flat Jesus is a friend of mine Jesus is my friend You're singing that song in your head Jesus is a friend of mine Don't you love like this little this guy needs to show Sting some dance moves on his bass. Listen, that song's great. Jesus is our friend. 
I was telling people in the first service, one of my favorite songs is by Martin Smith, and he, and he says, what a friend I have in Jesus, closer than a brother. It's, it's a beautiful song. It's him playing his guitar, singing all by himself, just strumming on an acoustic. It's a beautiful song because Jesus is our friend, and he is closer than a brother. But that's not the whole picture as well. And I think if we're not careful, we'll look at these pictures, and that will be our understanding and depiction of who the Lord is. But it's not the picture that the Bible gives us. And pictures that we just looked at, a great song that you're going to sing for the next three days, that's going to be stuck in your head, singing about Jesus, a friend of mine, that is part of the picture of Jesus, but not the fullness of of who he is. And that those pictures and that song will not cause you to stand in fear and reverence of, and awe of God. Jesus said, fear God. Jesus, a friend of mine, is not going to cause me to be in reverence and awe of the Lord, is it? It makes me want to dance with him. Jesus, let's hit the dance floor. You, me, let's go now. That's what that song makes you want to do. But go with me in your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 1, and we're going to look at a couple passages together of pictures of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 26. These are pictures of the Lord in the Bible and people's responses. I want you to pay attention to the responses of these people when they encountered the Lord, okay? Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. And on, his high throne, on this high throne above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire, and from his waist down... He looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. That is what the glory of the Lord looked to me. And when I saw it, when I saw this picture, when I saw this man, when I saw this image, this is what my response was. I saw it and I fell face down on the ground and I heard somebody's voice speaking to me. The response of Ezekiel when he saw this picture of the Lord was to fall to the ground in fear and reverence and awe. There is a fear that leads to life. You need to remember this as I'm speaking today. It is the fear of God that will lead you to life. Listen, I don't know if I said this already this morning. Maybe I said it in the 9 o'clock service. But there is a fear naturally that keeps you alive. There is a fear in your life that will keep you from stopping yourself from doing stupid things that you think might be fun. When you're mowing the lawn and your mower gets plugged up and you know you got to pull the grass out, what do we all do? We shut the mower down because we have a holy fear of the blades. You hope so. Some of us at some time before have probably tried to shove a stick in there and see what happens. Just saying. It doesn't turn out well. And when we shut off the mower, we wait. Don't we really like we wait until the mower's like, we're positive those blades have quit spinning. And then we stick our hands in. When you're driving on the road, 
There is a holy fear that keeps you alive so you don't drive literally as fast as you want doing whatever you want, passing everybody, because there's a fear that you could die if you're not paying attention. Right? When you go hiking and you climb a mountain and you get to the very top, say, who's been to the Grand Canyon? And when you went to the Grand Canyon, when you get to the Grand Canyon, you end up staying a few feet away from the edge, don't you? Because there is a fear that keeps you alive, knowing that if I get too close to this edge, something could happen. This could give way. I could fall off. I could trip on a rock. I could go over the edge, and that would be the end. So there's a fear that leads to life. I'm telling you today, in your life, there is a fear of God that will lead you to life, and God is wanting to restore a holy reverence and fear for him and his awe so that he can continue to work and move in you and through you the way that he desires we just finished the five hallmarks of our house talking about things like we're going to be a house of freedom we're going to be a house where people see that God is with us through signs and wonders and miracles we're going to be a house of worship we're going to be a house that seeks God we're talking about all these things what do these things require they require us to have a holy reverence and fear for the things of God so that God can move the way that he desires and wants to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about how he will be our God and we will be his people and he will live in us and dwell among us. For that to happen requires that we ourselves are holy so he can be there. Go with me to Daniel. It's over a few pages. Daniel chapter 10. Let's read this together. On April 23rd, I love the New Living Translation because it gives exact dates. On April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the Great Tigris River, and I looked up and I saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, and his face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. They could sense. They didn't see God, but they sensed something was happening, and it terrified them, and they ran away to get away from it. Daniel says here, I was left all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and laid there with my face to the ground. Just one more time. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. And when he spoke, and I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and laid there. This is a holy fear. This is reverence and awe for who God is. If you ever get a chance and you read the book of Job, the book of Job is fascinating. But in chapter 38, 39, and 40, 
the Lord shows up and begins to answer Job's, all of his questions, all of his musings, all of his wonderings, and it is a powerful reminder of who God is. It starts off by saying, brace yourself. The Lord shows up and he says to, to Job, he says, brace yourself like a man because now I have some questions for you that I want you to answer. And so he begins to go through and list off verse after verse asking Job, where were you when I set the boundaries? boundaries of the ocean when I told the water it could go this far and no more. Where were you, Job, when I set the foundations of the earth and I set this up? Where were you, Job, when I called the morning star into existence? And he just goes verse after verse, reminding Job of who God is. Here's the thing. We've forgotten who God is. We replaced the God of the Bible with the God of Google looking at those pictures and those images, and we think Jesus is warm and cuddly and is a lamb. Don't forget, yes, he is the lamb of God, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Go with me to the book of Revelation. I want to read this to you. In case you're wondering, Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. I don't hear enough pages turning. Revelation chapter 1. And just to be clear, in case you're unsure of it, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that he gave to John. This isn't John's revelation. The Bible calls this the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he showed it to John. And so here we are in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 10 and it says, It was the Lord's day. Let's just stop there for a second. How great is that term? It was the Lord's day. Today is the Lord's day. You ain't just coming to church. You're not just gathering together for an hour and a half to hang out with some friends and then go eat food afterwards. This is God's house. This is the house of the Lord on his day that we set apart for him to say and to do whatever it is he desires to say and do because we are, just to remind you, in his house on his day. It says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast and it said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. And John says... When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. Look at the responses of people when they see the Lord. It is a holy fear and reverence for who he is. 
John falls. Look, if you just look at this picture, if you just take a moment yourself at some point and read these images about how God is showing himself, it is a awe-striking, terrifying image. How terrifying would it be someone to see somebody who looked like this? It would cause awe to rise up inside of you. And you would say to yourself, this ain't no ordinary Joe. I might want to stop and listen to what this person is saying. And I might want to prostrate myself before them because this person, listen, this person, this person is way more than I am. I think that's part of the lie of this this thought that's creeping in to the age. And the lie is, is that there is nobody greater than me. We're all equal. We're all the same. I want to tell you today, from this stage in this pulpit, there is somebody greater than you. And if you ever believe the lie that there's nobody greater than you, you're in a world of hurt. And you need to come and talk to me so we can get this sorted out. Because Jesus is the name of all names. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as far as we are concerned, he is greater than us. We are created in his image, but he is greater than us. And we should be bowing our knee and surrendering our lives to him. Go with me one more passage of scripture. We're going to get through this real quick. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to show you this. And then we will finish up and... and, uh, Do something else. I'm sharing all this with you because I truly believe that God is trying to work and do something inside of our hearts and lives. That that God is not satisfied with church as usual and doesn't want us to be satisfied with church as usual. He doesn't want us to be Sunday Christians where we show up here and we sit down and we sing some songs and we listen to somebody talk and then we go home and we never open this book and we never have our own conversations with him. The Lord is requiring more from us. He's saying, come up here. I want to show you more. I want to do more through you. I want to do more in you. I want to reveal my glory and my goodness to all the people that you do life with so they can see, not just you, so that they can see that I am a real God that I'm an alive God, that I can work for them just as much as I've worked for you. And it requires on our part some reverence and awe and some fear of him that leads to life. Isaiah chapter 6 is a vision that Isaiah has. He says, it was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their fate, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook like the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. I want to stop for just a second. I know we're out of time, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't you like how I just told you not to worry about being out of time? Usually that's somebody else will say, like, we're out of time. Then you say, oh, don't worry about it. Keep going. But I just, I bypassed that and said, we're out of time. And then and your part was supposed to be like, don't worry about it. But nobody said that, so I said, don't worry about it. We're fine. 
He says here, holy, holy, holy is what the angels are singing. Is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Here's what I want to tell you. In the Bible, when a word is repeated, it's not repeated. It's repeated for emphasis. Today, in our language, we have, we can bold text. We can underline text. We can italicize text. We can hyphenate. We can put exclamation points. And even now, we could throw 100,000 emojis around a word to create emphasis for it. But in, in the days when the Bible was written, they didn't have any of those things. They didn't know what bolding was. They didn't know how to underline. They didn't know how to put an exclamation point. So what they would do was they would repeat a word. And when a word, a word is repeated, it's repeated to show that there should be emphasis on that word. Like when Jesus said, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into heaven. Jesus didn't actually, he wasn't talking to disciples and he wasn't stuttering. Uh, uh, guys, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, Lord will be saved. That's not what he was doing. He wasn't stuttering. He didn't repeat himself. The author repeated what he said twice to show there was emphasis on the word Lord. Not everybody who calls me Lord will be saved. Did you know that in the Bible, this is one of the only times a word is written three times for emphasis? And so what the angels were actually saying was, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And he was putting such emphasis on it because in the next verse it says, their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. So when Isaiah wrote this, he said, I really need to emphasize this word holy so people understand that God is a holy God and we need to stand in fear, in reverence, and in awe of him. Here's what that word holy means. It's the Hebrew word kadosh, and it's, it means sacred, holy, and it's used to denote someone or something that is inherently sacred or has been designated as sacred by a divine rate. Now, hang on. It designates that which is the opposite of common or profane. That which is opposite of common or profane. Profane means dirty or filthy. Our God is a holy God. He's not common. Don't treat him common. When you come into his presence, we don't come into his presence and be like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing, my guy? He's not common. He's not filthy. He's not dirty. He is holy. He is set apart. He is sacred. We need to remind ourselves that we serve a holy God and treat him as such so that when we come into his presence, listen, did you know that in olden days, I love saying the phrase olden days, but I'm going to say it anyways. In olden days, did you know that you, when you entered the presence of the king, you had to bow? And that when you left the presence of the king, you could not turn your back on him? And as you left, you had to bow and walk away like this, just hoping to God that you didn't fall over someone or something. But you are showing fear and reverence and awe. If you turned your back on a king in olden days, there's that phrase again, you could be killed. I feel like many of us, if the Lord Jesus himself walked in the room, many of us would be like, oh, hey, man, what's up? Yeah, I got to grab a coffee. I'll come back and talk to you in a second. And we'll slough on out of the building. But God is wanting to restore fear and reverence and awe of him in his people so that he can show the world his goodness. 
He wants to work in Dave's life so that Dave sees the goodness of, of God in his life and then the people that Dave works with see the goodness of God in his life. So they see, man, this guy fears God. He's not afraid of much else, but the one thing that he is afraid of is God. He reveres the Lord. He takes his time in the presence of God seriously. He doesn't come and worship God like, I hate this song. I'm not Steve. How many times are we going to sing this song? But there is a reverence and a fear and an awe, a holy fear that leads you to life. Isaiah's response. The voices shook the temple to its foundation as they cry out how holy the Lord is. And the temple is filled with smoke. This is the God we're talking about. That people say he's holy. And when they shout out and they cry out, he's holy. The temple is shaking to its foundations. This is the level of his holiness. His holiness causes buildings to quake. What do you think he wants to do in the building of you? Telling you what? He wants to get into the foundations of your life and reveal his holiness to you and begin to shake you apart and begin to shake out all the junk and begin to cause you to be set apart and sacred so that he can work in you and through you. <laughs> I don't know. Verse 5 says, this is his response. Isaiah sees all this, and he says, it's over. Basically, he's saying, it's game over. I'm done. I have seen the Lord. He said, I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal, and he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. The response to a holy God is a posture of reverence and fear. A posture of, you are greater than me. I surrender to you. A posture of, I'm not going to come into your presence casual with my ball hat on, twisted sideways, my hands in my pockets, chewing on six pieces of gum that I can barely keep in my mouth. A posture of, talking to the Lord who says, brace yourself like a man because I've got some questions for you. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I set this into motion? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? When we remember who God is, not just some fluffy bearded dude in a cloud, not just a friend of ours, not just the Lamb of God, cute and cuddly that you can hung, hug. This is who God is. And he's wanting to restore a holy fear and a reverence for him to his church and to his people so that we can truly be the people that he's called us to be.
First Peter chapter 3, 1, verses 13 and 16. says, can you put it up? I'm just going gonna, gonna to finish with this. Peter's talking. He says, prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Verse 16 says, For the scriptures say, For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. God is calling us to a place of holiness. God is calling you to a place of holiness. It's not just, listen, I'm talking to me, but it's not just me. It's not just the pastor he's talking to. It's not just the pastor or the preacher or the evangelist or the apostle or the whatever that he's talking to. It is every person who calls on the name of God. He's calling you to live a life of holiness. He's calling you to walk in a fear of him so that you understand who God is in you and who God is to you, and then you can understand who God is through you. Stand up with me. I shared this in the first service, but I'm going to share part of it here today. Um... If you study the scriptures, you'll notice that the glory and the goodness always go together. But in, in, in Exodus 33, in uh, verse 18, and this is Moses speaking to God, and he said, God, please show me your glory. He's pleading with, with God, saying, please show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion whom I will have compassion The goodness of God is found in the glory of God. But for the glory of God to be fully known in our lives, there needs to be a fear, a greater measure of the fear of the Lord in the body of Christ and in my life. I'm going to preach to myself today. So we have to caution ourselves from living a life of just saying, we talk about this all the time. I know we beat this drum hard in this church, but Jesus, I believe in you, but parts of my life will belong to you, but not all of it. But if you notice, if you've been sitting in church the last three weeks, the Lord is saying the same thing over and over and over in a different way. Jesus, you're my Savior, and you're my Lord, Lord. Jesus, I believe in you, and I belong. You know what fear of the Lord looks like? I don't want to forgive them, but I will forgive them. Because you hung on that cross, Jesus, and you said, Father, forgive them. I don't want to lay that down. But Jesus stood in the garden. He modeled it for us. He said, God, if it's possible, would you take this cup from me? And what did he say? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I think what the Lord is trying to do is release a greater measure of his goodness to the body and to our church. And he's calling us to come up higher and saying, church, will you pay the price to surrender all and get on your knees today and say, Lord, that's it. I'm I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. This is what we were talking about a few, a few weeks ago. Many people worship, but not everybody's a worshiper. 
It's easy to worship God on Sunday, but then he asks you to do something. You know, when you walk out of the door, you have a fight with your spouse. No, I don't want to forgive them. And you're like, I'm out. I don't want to be a worshiper. I'll just worship you on Sunday. But God is calling forth the true worshipers to arise. Will we fear the Lord? Let's say it again. Will we fear the Lord? Will we be a church that fears the Lord? Worship team. Will you be a worship team? I'm calling out to our worship team here. Will you be a worship team that will fear the Lord? Will you be a worship team that will, be, will begin to go beyond the, the, the bounds of just singing songs but live the song? Will you do that? Because if you will go beyond the bounds of like many churches just singing the song and live the song that God's power and authority would come and rest upon you so that his power and authority would flow through you. It's not my turn to preach today. Here's what I I think we need to do. I don't ever like to try and recreate things, but I do always feel like there are certain things that the Spirit of God says you need to do. And and for the most part, I I generally feel like when the Word of God has been preached, most times there's there's some kind of response that is required. Sometimes it requires just you to respond in your heart, in your chair. Sometimes it requires for you to come up and get prayed for. Sometimes it just comes up, it requires you to come up to the front yourself and just surrender yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Felicity does. And that's, that's she's getting it, which is great. Here's what I want to do. I've said this, I don't know how many times today, and I hope you're hearing what the Spirit of God is trying to say. Not the words of Jake, but what the Spirit of God is trying to say. I believe there are people here that are going to go to the next level of the relationship with the Lord, that are gonna step into new things as they begin to surrender and as they step into a new level in fear and reverence and awe of God. And as we walk in that, God is going to begin to reveal himself to us in new ways. And so we're going to take a moment and worship the Lord. And I I believe what many of us need to do today as a sign of surrender and as a sign of recognition of us serving a God who is far greater than us is we need to come into his presence And we use the front, we call it the altar, and it's a symbol of, you know, coming to the altar of God, the presence of God. And so lots of times you'll hear us say, come up to the altar, come up to the altar. And so today, if you're in this place and you say, I want to surrender my life on a new level. I want to say, "Uh, God, I want to fear you in a new way. I have feared you this much, but God, I'm ready to fear you even more. I'm ready to walk in a new level of fear for you, a new level of reverence for you, a new level of awe for you, because I am excited to watch you work and move in my life. Then if that's you, I want you to come to the front and bow your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you take some moments, you take some time. You don't gotta wait for me to finish talking. You can come up now, but you surrender yourself with your heart, your posture, and you begin to cry out to God and say, I surrender all to you, Jesus. Father, you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I desire to know you more. I desire a new level of reverence and fear for you. 
So if that's you, come on up. Don't you wait any longer. Don't hesitate. You just come down now. We're going to begin to worship. You find your way around this baptism tank. It's in the way, I know. But come on down. Come on down. It's a new day. It's a new season. Don't hesitate. Don't spectate. Don't wait. If you sense the Spirit of God calling you, then come on down. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that His Spirit, His love, and His life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.